Petersfield's Shine Radio. Hello, dog lovers. You're with me, Kate Fairweather, for Dogs With Jobs, the October edition. We come out on the last Tuesday of the month and celebrate and profile a working dog because I'm all about celebrating our working dogs in our local community. Now, I've got quite a, a very special dog for you to meet today. She's called Daisy and she's an assistance dog who works with a non-verbal autistic teenager. She has been key to building a lot of confidence in her human partner, Marcus, um, helping him get back to school after the pandemic, like all of us. It's uh, been a period of staying inside a lot. She's trained in a whole range of techniques, which we'll hear about this month, um, including deep pressure work, which helps to calm down his nervous system when he gets emotionally overloaded. She also provides crucial early warnings of an impending meltdown with 100% accuracy, which has transformed and expanded the lives not just of Marcus, but of the entire family. So in this episode, I'm meeting Hilary Armour, who I found fascinating, and uh, she's Marcus's mum, but she's also a skilled animal behavioralist, a dog trainer, uh, a former school teacher, and is currently the CEO as well as the founder of Alton-based charity Dogs for Autism, which specialises in providing assistance dogs, training them, placing them, and uh, keeping an eye on their progress with families um, which have an autistic member, normally a child or a teenager. So she was fascinating, and I hope you're going to find this as interesting as I did, on the subtleties of the family groups, because of course, where you have a member of the family with a disability, you in effect are transformed into a team of carers. And um, she also describes how the assistance dog partnership evolves over time. Um, And I found this an interesting aspect of um, the interview that you may have caught with uh, John Wellsman about his guide dog. Uh, Benji, trainee guide dog at the point that I interviewed him um, about how the relationship evolves over time um, and the instincts get keener and keener and that relationship becomes an organic living thing. So enjoy, have a listen, see what you think. I hope you enjoyed as much as I do. I found the whole thing very impressive and moving as well um, because I think the difference being made here by Daisy is profound and um, rather wonderful. Oh, and here she is. She is the most beautiful, very pale retriever. Yeah, she is. She's a golden retriever. Oh, this is exciting, isn't it? I'm sitting with Hilary Armour of Dogs for Autism and we're, well, you're introducing me to this rather gorgeous... Oh, Retriever, who's put her paw up. She's really beautiful. I'm going to have to take a lovely photo of her. Tell me about Daisy. This is Daisy. What does she do? Daisy's three years old. Uh, She's a golden retriever. As you say, she's white. Um, And she is my son's assistance dog. Uh, So my son, Marcus, is now 15. And um, he has had an, an autism assistance dog, I suppose now, since the age of... We probably started out when he was about eight... Um, Daisy came to us um, as a 10-month-old. Uh, she was with a family who who found her a little bit too boisterous. Uh, they nice. were a retired couple. Um, and I was on the lookout for a dog to train up 
as a replacement for for Marcus's current dog. And it was a sort of just-in-case scenario. Right. It turned out that Marcus's dog at the time then um, developed or, or had elbow dysplasia quite badly. And um, that's quite a painful condition. And it actually meant that I had to retire him from working. So, right. so it was very opportune that Daisy came along. So Daisy... Daisy comes with us everywhere we go and she wears a jacket which is a sort of special soft harness with the Dogs for Autism logo on and Marcus holds a lead that's Mm -hmm. attached to that jacket. It's the first year that Marcus hasn't actually worn what we call a tummy lead where um, he was attached by a bungee lead around his tummy to his dog because Marcus is um, a a non-verbal autistic boy with learning disabilities um that's daisy's bone (laughs) and he would bolt right and it made it very difficult for us to go out anywhere in fact and the other thing that we found very early on that was when he was when he was with his dog um not only would he not run away but he would also um suddenly just seem grounded it was like emotionally and not just physically but emotionally um, he was grounded, he was able to focus, he was able to listen to instructions. Um, and at the time, I didn't really understand how that happened or why that happened. But, uh, you know, now I, now that I, I, I work in this field, I, I now understand uh, a lot more about, about that. But yes, it made it possible for us to go out, actually. So was that almost an accidental discovery? Yes. How did, how did it all fit into place? Did you have Well, it started. Dogs. I've always so I've always had um dogs. And I before I was doing my school teaching job, um I was a dog trainer and animal behaviorist. When Marcus was very small, he and the dog, they got on okay, but there was certainly no bond between them. Mm. Um I mean, I knew if Marcus was really getting dysregulated because the dog would go to its bed under the stairs which was a clear sign to me that you know things were going a bit awry but you know that was a natural behavior for the dog um you know there was nothing really between them and then a dog came to stay with a labrador a chocolate labrador for a holiday and this bond struck up between marcus and 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 um and the dog we couldn't believe it because um marcus at the time was having really very severe meltdowns and obviously in that circumstance, we separate him out away from any dogs. Yeah. Uh, we have to keep dogs safe in those circumstances because during an autistic meltdown, um, often the young person or adult isn't aware of their behaviours. Um, yeah. So, you know, we, we, we don't ask dogs to get into the middle of that. But this particular dog was kind of desperate to get in there and, and, and help Marcus. And, and after the meltdown had finished, he, he crawled up the stairs on his belly, this dog, because he wasn't allowed upstairs. Um, that was part of the rules of his household. And he, he went and jumped up onto the bed next to Marcus and, and lay his whole weight across the side of Marcus. And it calmed it, Marcus down immediately. And my husband and I looked at each other. We couldn't believe it. Because we were we were ready for another sort of at least half an hour to forty five minutes of trying to help him calm down, and it was like it was like a bubble had been pricked. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And Marcus Almost just the tension. Had yes. Gone. Yeah. And Marcus just draped his arm over this dog, bearing in mind he he didn't he found affection difficult as an autistic child. He he and 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 the two of them just lay there, and that was the end of the meltdown. And we thought, oh. Right, and it was that moment that helped us understand, and, and just seeing the two of them together over that two weeks, that a, the right dog could make a, an enormous difference to Marcus's world. Um, and so we set out looking for ha- how we could 
um, get an assistant dog for him. Or Daisy's letting what? herself out. Um, That's I, I, fine. I have to say, she, she's <laughs> constantly on the move, isn't she? Well, she she oh. is. She is. <laughs> get the whole um, pack back in. What we'll do is we'll just ask the, these guys to go out. Come on. I'll tell you what. Go on, off you go. <laughs> the with having a trained dog is that it can open any door. Whether, yeah, whether I, you I've just seen that in action. Off you go, little one. Go on. Have a poo out. Go on. So you saw them wrapped up yes. on the bed together. And, and we thought, yes, sense that mm. massive change. So I started doing some research, and I and I realised really there wasn't an awful lot of uh, that was available to look at. From I knew there were charities in the UK that trained autism assistance dogs, but there was quite a lot on the internet from America, um, and I was able to look at videos of assistance dogs working with autistic children and the kind of things that the dog could do, like the the work being being tethered to the dog. Um, which, which I have to, you know, I have to impress upon anybody listening who might think that's a great idea. It, it's something that you have to do very carefully. You know, you have to train that very carefully, both for the child and the dog. Mm. The equipment has to be right um, because the welfare of the dog is really important. So you can't just attach your autistic child to a, mm. to a dog mm. and off you go, you know. Um, but I, I looked into it all. And then at the time... The, the other two charities in the UK, so um, Dogs for Good and Support Dogs, neither of them were taking applications because they were so oversubscribed and inundated with enquiries they'd had to close their lists at the time. Um, we didn't fall into the criteria for support dogs. We live too far away. And so I thought, gosh, what are we going to do? So I didn't even know that owner training was a thing. I didn't know you could train your own assistance dog. But because of my background as a dog trainer and behaviourist, and because I was already working with a school dog organisation, I said, look, you know, I, I said to, to, to my uh, friend in the school dog organisation, please, can I train an assistance dog under your um, umbrella for Marcus? Right. And that's the, how, how the first one came, came along, you know. Um, so, so we did that and we trained the tummy lead, as we call it. Uh, and suddenly we found that we could go out. We could go for a day out. It was unbelievable. Marcus loved being connected to his dog and holding on to, at the time he had a handless, soft handle on the back of the harness because it meant we didn't have to hold his hand. Yeah. So he was an eight stroke. So nine, he didn't yes. have to have that contact. He could have it in a way that was more in his control. Absolutely. Than, okay. And he had his buddy next to him, you know. Something that we, we really hadn't appreciated at all was that suddenly people smiled at him and looked at us as a unit and saw the dog and understood, mm. which was which is something. And, and, you know, I don't blame the general public uh, for not understanding the behaviour of autistic children. Um, but when autistic children are dysregulated emotionally, they can really act out. Mm. Public, in, and in public, they, everything in a public setting is, is kind of wrong for an autistic person. There's all this sort of different sensory um, pressures coming their way. They get sensory overload. They're out of perhaps routine because they're in a place that they don't know. Um, there are the smells, the sounds, um, all sorts of things going on for, for that autistic person who's trying to process that. And it can mean that their behaviour appears to be um, quite difficult. Mm. And, you know, just seeing a sort of eight-year-old boy who looks normal, in inverted commas, kicking and biting his mother... <laughs> You know, because she's trying to hold on to him, because if she lets go, he's going to run through that crowd. Mm. And then, you know, it, it's going to be a really difficult scenario. Watching that scene as an outsider is difficult. But if you see a child walking along with a dog that's clearly an assistance dog, you feel completely different about that. And also, 
if they do have a meltdown, so when he doesn't, he doesn't have meltdowns around his dog very much anymore. And in fact, Daisy um, alerts me to meltdowns before they happen. So that doesn't happen. We don't end up in that scenario. But if we were in a situation in the early days where Marcus had a meltdown, I would just unclip him from the dog. The dog would go and lie down at a safe distance and we would wait for the meltdown to happen. And yet again, all the passers-by just took in the scene, understood, and understood. gave us space. People would come up and say, can we help? Is there anything, do, do you need to, me to get anyone for you? Um, which was like a, it was like night and day in the experience I've had before. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I can see that because I can see the whole... I mean, even when I was speaking with John Wellsman, who um, was talking to me about his guide dogs, there's a social dynamic, isn't there, for any person with a dog. Mm. I find that mm. with my little puppy at the moment. Anyone mm. will stop and chat to you. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. And they're smiling before you even say hello. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. And, and um, well, I think for, for certainly for Marcus... When, if people stop us to talk to his dog, he finds that hard. I mean, he's a non-verbal um, young, young man. Um, he, can, he can talk, but he can't have a conversation. Okay. But his dog really concentrates on him. So if somebody's taking his dog's attention away, okay. he finds that hard. Um, so we really, we, per, we really discourage members of the public from talking to our dogs. But we've got a little card that we hand out that says, please don't think we're rude, you know. Um, this is what we do, this is our website, go and have a look at what we do, um, and the, the dog's the dogs working. It just gives the general public a completely different handle on what's going on, really. I mean, nowadays, uh, Daisy will alert, she actually alerts to Marcus rather than to me, but we're always together. Marcus is never on his own, he'll never be an independent uh, person in that sense. He's got, so he requires full-time care. So he, she will alert to Marcus if he's starting to become emotionally dysregulated. How does she spot that? How is this just That's sheer a good question. Well, we believe that there is um, a, a, a chemical marker, if you like, of emotional dysregulation. And of course, why shouldn't there be? You know, we're sort of dropping pheromones and all sorts of chemicals all the time that dogs can pick up on that we can't. Mm. To start with, it's about behaviour. Uh, and so she can pick up on very, um, very subtle behavioural cues that perhaps we don't see. She'll start nosing at his arms or pawing at his legs or leaning up against him in a certain way, almost falling against him uh, like she was falling on the floor before. You know, mm. she'll do that about five minutes before I can see that things are going awry. Wow. And of course, and, and I can look at him and I can be thinking, I have no idea how she knows, but she does. So we have to assume there's a there's a um, so it gives you an assent. early warning completely, yeah. and it's and, and she's a hundred percent accurate. She absolutely is. I can make a value judgment when she gives a, a cue um, like that. I can say, well, are we going to stay in this situation, and finish off, finish off what we're doing, and, and kind of ride the storm, or are we going to just ditch where, whatever we're doing and, and go and find a, a, a quiet place? Um, and she's always right because if I carry on then the, the emotional dysregulation will happen, you know, a meltdown might occur. Um, but the other thing is as well is that not particularly with Daisy and Marcus, but with our other autistic partners, some of them, particularly those who don't have a learning disability and can self-advocate and can, uh, is we're teaching them, okay, so if your dog alerts you, 
then what are you going to do? What choices are you going to make? And what are the consequences of not listening to your dog? And are you able to see that through? And, and, and so actually we're, we're, we're helping. Very empowering. Yes. So the dog can, in some cases, um, actually dispel the meltdown before it happens. So help the re-regulation process. How would a dog help the re-regulation process? Are there are particular actions or techniques? Yeah. So or... particularly with deep pressure therapy. We might find a, a, a quiet spot, uh, and I, I mean, I know some young people who, who, wherever they are, will just go and find a wall and sit down with their back against the wall on the floor, and their dog will lie across their lap, and they'll just lean over their dog and hold their dog, mm. and that weight across the lap and that security and um, really, really helps to re-regulate and ground that person mm. emotionally. Um, I talk to um, young sort of self-advocate uh, autistic people who will tell me that sometimes when when they're becoming emotionally dysregulated, yeah. it, they feel like a floating head. But when they're holding their dog lead, it, they can feel themselves on the ground again. And there must be a similar effect on you. Oh, I mean, yes, what as is a parent. It, yes, I mean, what, I understand yeah. that light bulb moment yeah. when you saw mm. Marcus and that particular dog yes how how has it affected things you obviously trust daisy utterly in yes. flagging in advance well it's incredible because we can now go out and sometimes i still have to remind myself of what it felt like in the early days i can go out with somebody else let's say my husband for instance and we can walk along through a shopping center and i can have a conversation with him i couldn't do that before if we were out with marcus i'm saying going out with marcus um, all of my attention had to be on Marcus. And I was spending most of my time trying to actively re-regulate him, make sure he wasn't running off, chase him when he was running off, um, and deal with, with, with um, how difficult he found it to be there. Whereas we suddenly found that we could go out. My husband was on my right. My dog, well, Marcus's dog was on my left. Marcus was on the other side of the dog with his tummy lead on, holding onto his handle and just happily pottering along you know and if he did let go because he wanted to go off into a shop um that you know that is a, a something that we train the dogs for then the dog becomes an anchor the dog grounds and um and then i can make a decision as to whether or not we follow marcus which sometimes we do because yeah. why shouldn't he go off and have a look in the shop he wants yeah. or actually whether we carry on you know um, but but I'm not chasing him. Yeah. So that gives you a lot more Thank you, Daisy. operating space, doesn't it? Oh, if completely. I can put it like that, yes. because instead of doing capacity. the kind of man marking, so to speak, mm. you actually get to have your brain thinking about something other than watching your son. Absolutely. And it's beneficial to everybody because which eight-year-old boy wants their mother on constantly? Yeah. It gives me the capacity to... Um, to be able to do more than one thing at once, you know, so to be able to take my child into a supermarket uh, and actually do some shopping, mm. um, which is something we just, I, I even now, even now I won't go into a supermarket with Marcus without a dog. Just won't do it um, because I always regret it because I end up sort of ditching half the things I wanted to get. And sometimes we have to leave before we've even got to the till because um, he can't handle it. But if he's with his dog, he absolutely can. And he can go shopping himself with his own list and, you know, that type of thing. Um, God, that, I mean, that's transformative. Completely. For you and for him mm. and presumably for mm. the rest of your family. 
Yes, yes. And, you know, we say that the dogs transform lives and they really, really do. And it's not just the life of the autistic person. It's the life of the whole family. You know, suddenly families can go out to do an activity and they manage to do the activity happily and then all come home again without it all becoming a nightmare and them all having to ditch it halfway through and come home. You know, we've got, um, you know, a lot of... uh, we're starting to do research in the charity about exactly what the you know effects are of having an assistance dog in the family um and and we get a lot of feedback from siblings who say you know suddenly we can do things suddenly my parents can do things with me for a change you know um a lot of young people you wouldn't really appreciate but uh, children who have autistic siblings are young carers because their needs come second every time they have to but with the dog, it can really open up their world as well um, because the dog's looking after their sibling in that, in that social situation. And I guess that as Marcus's mother, yes. you have a huge intuition around his state of mind and well-being all the time, don't you? And yet you're mm. being trumped by this, this, gorgeous, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> this gorgeous Labrador retriever who I'm stroking right now, mm. who is actually sitting still because she's, I mean, she's mm. very active. She's been she is very rolling active. around. She's very active because... How does that work? Because when, we've, when I've interviewed John and his guide dog, the, the guide dog seemed to be characterised by stillness and calm. Well, she's not working at the moment. Gotcha. So she's not working. She's, she, she, was in, she was having quiet time before. So she's had a really sort of quiet hour or so. She's come in here and and she's and, and obviously she lives in a pack with um, a number of dogs. So it's, it's it's unusual for her to have one-to-one time when she's not working. Okay. And I haven't actually asked her to settle. Okay. But if I if I say lie, lie down, Daisy. Good girl. There we go. And Stay she's there. suddenly gone still. Yeah. Yeah. This is a dog who when she when her jacket goes on, she absolutely it's like flicking a switch. She's she's amazing. She's very calm. Very calm. She's she's never boisterous. Uh I mean, you know, we we go into Marcus loves eating out. He loves going to, to having pizza and things like that. And she just go in, curl up next to the table, won't we won't hear a peep out of her. I don't even have to think about her and how she's going to behave, you know. Um, but now I've asked her to lie down. She's. I mean, you can hear she's completely still. Well, yes. Well, she was quite panty before, wasn't she? Yeah. She's like, what can I do next? And, you know, who am I going to. I'd, I'd say wriggly. Mm. She's a bit wriggly, wasn't yes. she? Yes. Wow, Hilary. I yeah. mean, she's amazing. But how. So she. I mean, but you were saying a, she trumps me. Yes, you know. in that she's quicker off the mark yes. spotting any signs yes. than you are. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, she knows marcus is her job she so the moment he comes home from school she's on it she wants to know where he is if she's separated from him that's okay she doesn't she doesn't get upset by that but she would rather be with him and if he's sitting on a chair she'll be next to him you know um i'll I'll find them curled up together sometimes and he never sits still i mean he's got a really sort of acute case of adhd um and as uh, along with everything else and and but when daisy's with him he will sit still um he loves to wiggle his toes into her fur 
And he's out at school all day mm-hmm. during normal yes. term times? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you've got a rhythm to your terms, haven't you? So she's yes. off duty until, yeah. I'm guessing, four o'clock, something yes, like that. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and then when he comes home, she's she's around and, and she she's really on duty when her jacket goes on or if he's if he's emotionally dysregulated. So maybe one one evening in, in five at the moment, he might really be struggling. Mm. She will get quite anxious if she can't get to him. When she knows he's starting to get um, to go towards meltdown, she will work hard to get to him. So she'll pour at doors, she'll try and open the stair gate at the bottom of the stairs, and that can often be an indicator to me that I have to stop what I'm doing as well. I mean, I, I've always I'm, sort of got an eye on him, but, um, you know, it might be the time I'm trying to put the washing away whilst he's busy running around and jumping around because that's what he does. But if Daisy's really trying to get to him, that's an indicator to me that I just have to stop what I'm doing and everything needs to calm down. Whereas on another day, I can do all that and it's not a problem. But I, I can't tell in the way that she can. It's it's just amazing. I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's something to do with scent, and, and that's something we are, as a charity, wanting to look into, sort of um, from a from a, a research and training point of view. And if you're a dog trainer, it all makes sense. You know, the child becomes upset and and anxious, and we know that dogs mirror the behaviour of their owners. And so, you know, the dog doesn't like the child getting upset and anxious. It worries the dog. You know, so actually. Um, the dog starts to can easily predict, you know, the dog starts to predict that behaviour if they see either behavioural signs or if they, they can sort of smell that there's a change chemically. Uh, and what we what we do is when we see the dog's behaviour change, we then reward that. If so you like. you're rewarding the yeah. dog for flagging the behaviour yes. change. Yeah, but what we don't want the dogs to do, and this is really important, is that sometimes the first sign we get is that the dog starts showing us or showing the other person what we call calming signals. So they could be lip licking, they could be lifting a paw, they could be panting a lot, they could just be unsettled and unable to settle. You know, we have to look at that, watch that very carefully. And we talk talk to our families about this, you know, when the bond's really deepening between, particularly with the children and the dogs, is, is looking out for these signals because... Um, what we want the dogs to do is um, is understand that at that moment it can be a rewarding experience for them rather than letting them sit there in that state Stick. of getting more and more anxious. We've got to we've really got to notice it and then and that on stops cue. the responsibility falling on the dog, doesn't yes. it? Which would just be stressful. Yes. Can I can I ask you how do you deal with bereavement? As and when eventually, you know, it's yeah. anyone who loves their dog. Mm. You wish they lived 20 years when they don't. It's very so... hard. It's very hard. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's something that we all have to deal with, whether we're neurotypical or not. And I've thought quite sort of long and hard about this because, you know, we're, we're, we're asking the dog and the young person to, to grow this incredible bond. Mm. And of course, you know, when the dog eventually uh, dies... Um, or if anything happens and they have to, um, they, they they have to be parted from their dog, um, we have to deal with that. But we use, um, I mean, we have um, 
autism specialists within our charity who work with the family um, and we put together things like social stories I'm going to have to go and deal with that okay. very noisy let's dog. just take a pause a second and then we'll come yeah. back and finish but I, I just mm. I thought that was interesting because mm. presumably um, for the neurotypical child development mm-hmm. you, the maturity would make someone better equipped to deal with the bereavement of their best friend Yes. Whereas yes. it's slightly different, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. Um, it is. Well, thank you for listening. I hope you found that as entrancing as I did. Um, very, very interested by the whole subject. Now, I'm going to put in the show notes and online on the website, shineradio.uk forward slash dogs with jobs, some information on how you can reach Dogs for Autism and Hillary's team and links to their website and um, all about how they work, how you can support it um, and how it can support you um thanks for listening i've got an exciting next couple of months coming up i'm hoping to be meeting a truffle hound yes a truffle hound (laughs) i'm really pleased with the diversity over the last couple of months because we had alfie the beautiful model and actor last month and i'm hoping to be introducing you to a fantastic italian truffle hound next month who uh harvests truffles not himself but uh, he helps his owner harvest truffles um in and around the hampshire area near petersfield have a great month and i'll look forward to seeing you again in november Explore the treasured countryside around Petersfield with Susie Wilde and her Labrador, Rain. Rain and I have come up into the hangars. Bablet, come along. Good girl. Join me as I walk with my Labrador through our varied county. I'm looking at a really beautiful, cloudless blue sky. Landscape is recollection too, and I love to share that with you for a few minutes each week. Oh, Rain, isn't this lovely? What might it be? Susie Wilde's Wild Walks. It went that way. New every week from Petersfield's Shine Radio and always online at shineradio.uk. Right, come on then, let's go.